This is Mitch Pomerantz, President of the American Council of the Blind, and with me is my wife, Donna. Say hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Some say I'm his better half. I don't know. I think I agree. I wanted to, uh, to include Donna, because she's my family, uh, my closest friend, because this is the holiday season for all of us, whether we're here in the United States or listening from somewhere in Europe or in Asia, and we are all family. We're all part of the ACB family. And certainly over the last three months or so, I've learned a lot about the ACB family. For those of you who don't know, I've had some health issues and the support and the uh, concern expressed about uh, my health from the ACB family has been wonderful and uplifting and a great uh, a great uh, help to, uh, to both Donna and I. So because of uh, the last uh, three months or so, I really wanted to focus on the ACB family, regardless of where uh, you live, regardless of where you may be listening. This is the time of year when all of us do uh, pay close attention to family matters. And uh, so I did want to include uh, Donna in this. I want to wish everyone a uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Hanukkah, uh, or whatever holiday you choose to, uh, to celebrate. And for a few words, I will turn this over to Donna. Um, I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, if, if some celebrate Kwanzaa or whatever else people celebrate, uh, coming from the Pomeranz household, um, a very happy and healthy new year as well um thank you all of you for reaching out to us uh, through our trials and um i got some very very good ideas for some people on the uh email and on some calls um as to um how i can try and get mitch to relax as he gradually starts to gain back some more strength um, because he seems to keep escaping when i try to tie him to his big man chair in the corner um so just Wishing each and every one of you a very, very happy new year and happy holidays. Thank you so much for showing me that ACB is definitely um, a family and friends of ACB are also part of that family. I wanted to mention a couple of things. This has been a good year for ACB. Uh, we are involved in uh, helping develop the regulations for the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Several of our members are participating on a panel uh, or on a, a working group with the Federal Communications Commission. We are working with the, uh, with the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration on the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act, NHTSA is uh, developing the guidelines that uh, are required of the legislation. And speaking of pedestrian safety, the Pedestrian Safety Handbook, the updated version, uh, was recently published and uh, will be online shortly if it isn't already. We are beginning to prepare for the 2012 ACD President's Meeting and Legislative Seminar, which will begin on the uh, 24th 
of uh, February, the uh, president's meeting. I believe the legislative seminar is uh, the 25th and 26th, whatever that Sunday and Monday, uh, whatever those dates are, and then we'll be on Capitol Hill on Tuesday. So uh, we, it's a very busy time for the American Council of the Blind. Uh, Melanie Brunson just returned from Geneva, where the World Intellectual Property Organization had yet another meeting to hammer out language to allow for countries in uh, the rest of the world to have easier access to uh, materials from the United States. So a number of things are going on with the organization, and uh, we expect that 2012 will be equally as busy and productive. And of course, we have our national convention coming up this summer, beginning July 9th in Louisville, Kentucky, and I hope that Again, a number of you will uh, be able to attend what will be our 51st annual conference and convention. So uh, those are some of the things that are going on within the ACB family. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year and a prosperous and productive 2012. I'm glad to have a co-host with me this evening. Mr. Chase Crispin, our executive producer, has joined us here for this evening on our special main menu for New Year's Eve. Hello, Chase. Hello, David. It's good to be here this evening. This is a really exciting show. I hope you all enjoy it, and it's kind of nice to be in the co-host position. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can do that every once in a while. Uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know whether you think this is something we ought to do more often, or maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and But uh, we thought we'd uh, kind of do this together. Partially, I thought it would be good to do it together because on some of the uh, highlights we're going to cover here on the highlights for 2011, Chase probably had more to do with uh, arranging these, and he's even uh, a part of a couple of these, and I thought it would be good to let him talk about those. And uh, so we've got a list here, and we'll try to get through all of the list if we can. If we can't, then we'll stop when time runs out. The first thing we have on the list is the transition from uh, Jamie Pauls as the host of Main Menu to yours truly David Tanner as host and Chase Crispin as the executive producer. That basically happened because Jamie was offered a job somewhere else and it was um, it was uh, necessary for him if he wanted to go to that other position to, um, re- to uh, leave Main Menu as the host of Main Menu since Main Menu is a volunteer position and the other position was a pay-for position uh, that seemed a logical decision for Jamie to make and we all miss him very much but we uh, very much uh, congratulating him on uh, his new position. And we've said this several times but I think it's definitely worth going back and thanking Jamie again for his hard work for a couple of years, two to three years or so on Main Menu. He did a very nice job, took Main Menu through a lot of interesting segments, a lot of a lot of your probably good memories of Main Menu so I think we should definitely thank Jamie for his years of service with us on Main Menu. Definitely was a great host. Hi, this is Jamie Pauls. I've been the host and producer of Main Menu since May of 2009 and have been on the Main Menu team since August of 2008. Recently, an opportunity has come up that will require me to step away from Main Menu. This evening, you're going to meet two people. 
The first is the new executive producer of Main Menu. Hello, Main Menu listeners. I'm Chase Crispin, and I know many of you know me from various things I've done here on Main Menu for the last year or two, or somewhere around there, but today I am very pleased to announce to all of you that I have accepted the position of the executive producer of Main Menu. Before I move on, I would just like to say that Main Menu is a show that has accomplished a lot of things over the last few years. Jamie Pauls, who I think every single one of you knows and knows does this job extremely well, has done a very, very good job hosting and producing Main Menu over the last two to three years. He has led Main Menu to be nearly a one-stop resource for people interested in finding out information about technology for the blind and visually impaired. For those of you who don't know me, I am a high school student, and I have been involved in Main Menu as part of the team for the last year or so, and I've been submitting things to Main Menu uh, for a while before that. I'm really happy to have accepted the position of executive producer. This is a really great show, and I'm glad to be even more involved. One of the big things I want to do as executive producer is work with all of you, the listeners. So if you have any suggestions for the show, if there's something you like, something you don't like, you have a segment idea, or even if you have a podcast you've already made, or you would like recorded something to be aired on Main Menu, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me. I love to get in touch with listeners and see where you guys want the show to be. I'm really glad to be in this new role as executive producer. I am very excited for the opportunities that this show will have over the next several years as an executive producer. I have many ideas for the show, and I'm going to be working with the new main menu host, who's going to be the one responsible for putting the show together and editing it on a weekly basis. We're going to meet this new host here in just a few minutes, and I know you're going to be very glad to have this person hosting. It's someone you've all been familiar with on main menu for the last couple of years, and this person is going to do a wonderful job hosting, and I'm glad to be working with this new host. Now it's time to introduce the new host of Main Menu, the voice that you will hear every week, just as you've heard my voice for over a year. Now, please make welcome our new host. Hello, I'm David Tanner, and I am very pleased that Amy has given me the opportunity to come by Main Menu today to talk to you a little bit and give you a little bit of background on myself as I take over next week the host position at Main Menu from Jamie as Jamie moves on to new and exciting endeavors. Now, I want to uh, give you a little bit of a background on myself. I have a total of 26 years of experience in the assistive technology field. Prior to that, I was a school teacher for a few years. I sold real estate and was a real estate broker for a couple or so years. But then I got hung up on computers and assistive technology and as I started to use assistive technology and now use assistive technology all day every day uh, at work at home and recreation and you name it I am strongly hung up on having the best and latest in assistive technology I want you to know as much about it as I do and maybe more because guess what none of us know everything there is to know about regular technology or assistive technology and that's what we're here for at main menu if you hear something on main menu that you thought we could have maybe had done a little a better job on we'd be more than happy to hear from you we'd like to hear from you what you like what you don't like and what you think was good but maybe we could have done a little bit of a better job and we are always looking for new ideas and new things to cover on main menu to inform you and your friends and uh, neighbors about the latest in assistive technology for blind and visually impaired so be sure you drop by the webpage and leave us a suggestion send us an email on the main menu friends email list and if you're not on that mailing list hey may i suggest that you get over to w www.mainmenu.acbradio.org and join us on the Main Menu Friends mailing list. We promise to do our best to give you the best we can in information about what's going on today and what is coming up in the future. Well, let's go on to our next thing here, and I think 
we were going to talk a little bit about coverage for uh, Lion. Jason, you want to talk a little bit about Lion and our coverage on that? As a lot of you might know, uh, David Woodbridge, who has actually joined us on the Main Menu staff uh, from Australia, he works for a company called Vision Australia, has provided us a lot of content on the Mac pretty much weekly, and that's something a lot of you had asked for for quite a large amount of time. And Jamie Pauls interviewed David with two major things that you might remember. This was the release of the next version of the Mac OS X operating system called Lion. This is something a lot of people were excited about because there was a lot of new enhancements, both accessibility and otherwise. And in that, in this interview, David Woodbridge kind of took us through the major enhancements and even demonstrated some things. I'm visiting with David Woodbridge of Vision Australia, and many of you know him from the series of podcasts that we've been running on using the Mac. Some excellent work there, David. This time, we are talking about Lion, the new operating system for the Mac, which has just been released. And... Uh, I believe, David, you're going to take us through a little tour of some of the really great new features of Lion, correct? I am. First of all, I thought I might take you through some of the features of Lion itself as such, and then some of the more specific features of VoiceOver. But I'd like to say first up that you can completely use Lion in the same way that you're used to using Snail Leopard with VoiceOver. So basically what Launchpad is, if you think of your iPhone, your iPod Touch, or your iPad as your home screens... That's what Launchpad is. It's a way of getting access to applications quickly with not having to worry about where they are in your system or trying to find your applications folder. And there's a couple of ways you can get to it. The way that you can normally get to it is via Launchpad sitting on your dock. You would just run it like a normal application. What I've done on my Mac Air here is I've associated it with a gesture on my trackpad, which is actually command and then a four-finger flick up. And I've also associated it with um, on my Mac keyboard with com- sorry right option key. So I'll do that again. Right option key and Z. Um, don't ask me why I did Z. I just thought well Z's a close enough key to the bottom of the keyboard. So while I'm at the moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do hold in my command key and do a four finger flick up. Okay. Interact with grid selection five rows eight columns address book. Now the really cool thing, and I absolutely love this one, is mission control. Because as a screen reader user, you sometimes forget how many windows you have open on your machine. <laughs> yeah. So your, your side of friends come along and go, I actually can't tell where you are, really, because you've got lots of windows open. <laughs> or you do what I do, and you keep, for some reason, every time you, you jot down a note, you keep opening multiple untitled windows all the time and saying text at it. And this is a really great way of... This is a really great way of finding out what things you've got open. So I'm going to launch Mission Control by doing Command and my four-finger flick down. Remember, that's my command that I've already pressed up for myself. Whoops. He says not doing it again. Try it again. Mission Control. Three item spaces list. Okay, I'm going to via right arrow over to where it says Expose. At desktop. Exposate Windows Group. Okay, Expose Windows Group. I'm going to interact. Interact with Exposate Windows Group. 18 items are leave with the host. Okay, so I've basically got 18 windows open on my computer. <laughs> the way VoiceOver now comes on your Mac in the version of Lion is that you actually get the standard voices, including those silly novelty voices. Yeah. Plus you get a series of the nuanced compressed voices. So they're basically at a, a, you know, at a lower frequency rating, so they're mm-hmm. a small file. And you've got your classics. You've got, you know, Karen and Lee for the Australian voices. Uh, you've got Daniel for the, like I'm using at the moment, for the UK voice. You've got Fiona, which is a Scottish voice. Tessa, which is a, a South African voice and so on. Uh, plus all the other languages, French, German and so on. 
But basically what happens is with the compressed voices, you can choose to use them. And they probably sound a bit similar to the voices that you would normally be used to listening on to the iPhone, the iPod Touch, or the iPad. So has, has Alex changed at all? Look, I, I'd say he has, and this is only my personal personal opinion. He doesn't sound as clear as he used to on Snow Leopard. Really? Um, no. Now, the other really cool, outstanding feature of VoiceOver now is that we have things called activities. And for the one of people that are used to what activities are not, they're the same thing as script files or settings or applications that Windows now uses to enhance the functionality of an application. So whereas before, when you changed all your settings in VoiceOver, it was really only for your current application. Whereas now, you can associate your settings to an application, or you can just create an activity that you want to load manually whenever you want to use a certain set of parameters that you've changed in VoiceOver. So, for example, <clears throat> what I've done with my Illyria program, my uh, Daisy player, is when I switch to it, I've got it to load a activity which basically changes the voice from whatever my standard voice is currently running to the Samantha voice, and it runs faster speed. So let's press Command-Tab to Command-Tab around to Luria. Text edit. Skype. Alluria. And now I'm going to release my Command button, Command key. Mm-hmm. Ah, and nice. And straight away. Yep, we also have two things now for Safari. Um, we have single-key web navigation. Yeah. Up until this point, we had to use, you know, VO command H or with the shift key to jump forward and back by header, or you used your quick nav, which is, you know, turning around by left and right arrow and using up and right or up and left to, you know, cycle to whatever element you wanted and up and down to navigate by that element. But now what you can do is you can just press H for header, you know, um, B for button and that sort of stuff now. Very good. And, of course, you hold it with the shift key to move backwards. So that's a huge benefit. Um, no longer will we have people saying, well, oh, voiceover users, I've got to hold down so many keys just to navigate the internet. <laughs> no longer. Right. Um, so that's actually very good. And there's also another interesting feature, which I'm assuming would be useful for some people. Um what it is is it's called quick search and what it is is you can it, when you turn it on and it's under the um it's either under navigation or I've, I've checked this for you later but it's under quick nav navigation uh, but what it is is you assign it to in my case i've assigned it to my right command key and then when you press another letter with it when you're on the internet it'll jump to any element on the screen starting with that letter the next thing that uh, uh, David and uh, Jamie talked about was iOS 5 and the iPhone 4S. And I want to say here that we really appreciate the fact that Vision Australia has been uh, nice enough to allow us to air a lot of their tutorials that David has done from Vision Australia. And uh, we continue to air those on a regular basis, knowing that a lot of people are looking for information and tutorials on the Apple. And so we try to offer you some of those and are really appreciative that the Vision Australia is letting us use those. It's very high quality content. We're very glad to run it. And we're also very happy that David Woodbridge is now a member of the main menu team. So you might also be able to look forward to hearing some unique content that David is going to provide for us here at main menu. I'm speaking once again with David Woodbridge here on Main Menu, and as usual, it's time to talk about new features of iOS, Apple's um, operating system for the iPad.
iPad, the iPod, and the iPhone. Let's just start by talking about um, the main features of iOS 5 as we know them today. First of all, I think one of the coolest things is um, what happens when you go into a store, pick up an iPhone or an iPod running iOS 5, and triple-click the home button. Yes, now this has actually been something I've been waiting for for a long time because, as we all know, with the Apple Mac, you can go into a shop, pick up a Mac, bring it home, or even in the shop, press Command, key, plus F5, and it runs voiceover. Well, now the default setting in iOS 5 will be, like you just said, pressing the physical home button three times, having voiceover on, which means when you get at home and or in the shop and you need to set up the iPhone for yourself or the iPad or the iPod Touch, you can completely do it independently. And the best thing of all, there's actually no PC, as in Windows computer or Mac, required for that setup process. iTunes Match is going to be initially available in the US, moving to other countries when available. Talk to us about what iTunes Match is. Let's say, like me, you've imported all your music into iTunes. So in my case, I've actually got a reasonably small music library compared to some people. I've got about two or 300 CDs, and I've imported all of them into iTunes. And what will happen is when you do iTunes Match, it will look at your collection. It will then match it to the songs on the iTunes store because they've got a, you know, 20 million songs on there. Mm-hmm. And they will upgrade your music to listen in better quality format. And you'll be able to access that music because it'll be a record in the iTunes cloud, if you like, that you own that music and you've got access to it. And you can access iTunes Match from any of your iCloud-based iOS devices. It's $24.99 a year. PC-free setup. That's another really uh, appealing thing to a lot of people um, not being tethered to iTunes when you first get your device. Well, at all, I guess. So, yes. So, no longer do you have to plug in your dear old device into your PC or your Mac. Because we've now got, because remember before, you know, at the moment before with iOS 4, even to activate voiceover, you had to connect it to your PC or your Mac or get somebody to start the turn on for you. Yeah. Well, because we've got triple click home and then you run the PC wizard and start setting up all your stuff, then yeah, you don't actually have to go anywhere near PC or Mac. The other part of that, um, the, the PC free stuff is, of course, software update. Because again, at the moment, you had to plug in your dear old device into iTunes and check for updates. Well, now you can do it for the device from the software button in your settings panel. Um, and that, again, that's absolutely brilliant. And um, at the moment, I believe it's only done through Wi-Fi because you really don't want to be downloading a six or 700 megabyte file through 3G data connection. So iCloud, you store music, photos, apps, books, mail, contacts, calendars, documents, music, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, now this is, this is the exciting bit because this is all done in the background. Once you've all set this up, um, and it does require an Apple ID. Basically, you can sign up on the device for iCloud, and you can choose what you then want to use with iCloud. So you can choose whether you want your the mail, your contacts, your books, all that sort of stuff done through iCloud. Um, you get five gigs of storage for free to store your documents on, and you can also purchase more storage if you actually need to. Notification center. So I haven't got it running for a mix, but hopefully it'll, it'll pick up on the recording. Right. So if I take my finger to the status line. 1.22 p.m. status bar item. Okay. And then I do a three-finger swipe down the screen. 
Now that said notification center very quickly because it popped up very fast. Right. The first thing in the notification center is actually the weather. Nice. So because I currently live in Gosford, that's the temperature of Gosford, of course, in Celsius. Mm-hmm. And now basically to move through the notification center, it's basically flick left or right or swipe left or right to move it through item by item. So if I do one finger flick to the right. Mail. Okay, that's the first heading, mail, flick to the right. Clear section, button. That's the clear section for the clear mail section. Flick to the right again. And red, Barry Chapman, and red. And I'm just Twitter. flicking through all my notifications that I got in mail. If I keep going. messages. Okay, there's my messages notification. Flick to the right again. Clear section, That's the clear section for the messages. Flick to the right again. And red, Chris Waller, zip, and red, Chris Waller, and red. If I keep going. Phone, and red, phone. Okay, there's my phone notifications. And red, Chris Waller, and red, and red, and red. Keep going Clear those. box car. There's good old box car. Wow. <laughs> Lots of people that know about. Again. Yeah. And red, box car. Timeline, and red, box car. App, and red, okay. and red. Keep going. Red. Reminder, green that's, bin. That's reminders. That's my green bin reminder to put on my recycling. And then eventually you get down to the, no- the dismiss notification center button. But if you don't want to do any of that, I can just do a two-finger scrub. And I've just escaped out of the notification center. The reminder app. Now, this one's actually very, very cool again. I keep saying everything's very cool with Apple. It's very sad. It looks like it Uh, is, yeah. Yeah, look, it's very straightforward. Basically, um, you've got an app on your main iPhone screen called Reminders. You go into it, and then it's got your existing reminders, a whole list of them, and you can check them or uncheck them as you actually finish them or you have to remind yourself about them. But when you go and set them, um, you basically can set to be reminded uh, at a certain time. The reminders just pop up on the notification bar, and because I've got VoiceOver on, it reads them out automatically. But the other really cool thing about reminders, it's what's called, you can set a, a geofence around a particular area. So, for example, I can set a reminder that says when I get to work, I must remember to bring a certain person. So when I come into the GPS location of work, that reminder will pop up because I'm at that GPS spot. So newsstand, um, all new subscriptions for magazines and newspapers from the app store, uh, they get placed into this newsstand folder, right? They do. And it's a great way to find it when you subscribe to a, a magazine or a newspaper. That's where those subscriptions will appear. And you can also use uh, you know, some of the icons in there to also go to the store and actually purchase the subscriptions to a particular newspaper or magazine. This is, this, I mean, the, for all the demonstrations that have been on the, the, the internet about Siri, basically Siri is your personal assistant that you control purely via your voice. And it's not just voice recognition. It's an actual artificial intelligence system. So you can do and ask it lots of questions. So, for example, you can say things like, how many days are there until Christmas? Mm -hmm. And it actually uses text-to-speech to feed back to you what the answer is or another prompt it might be asking you. With the new camera in in the iPhone 4S, it's got an 8-megapixel camera that will supposedly work a lot better in low-light conditions, Mm -hmm. which leads me to think that when we use apps like Zoom Reader and Text Grabber to do scanning and OCR, we may be getting better results with the camera in the in the iPhone 4S than we do in the iPhone 4. 
Chase, you uh, did the interview actually on this one, I believe. Uh, the interview with uh, Ricky Enger from uh, Serotech about their cross platform, some of their applications. And uh, I think you talked uh, some about uh, DocuScan and some other things. That's right. A lot of people have really begun to kind of venture out from maybe their one operating system that we've been using, which was primarily Windows. And the Mac is becoming a lot more popular. A lot of people are also now using mobile devices like the iPhone. So Serotech has really begun to realize that people are using a lot of different devices and a lot of different operating systems. So in this interview, we kind of talked about what applications were cross-platform so that maybe those of you who don't use Windows can still use these applications and maybe where Serotech sees cross-platform applications going in the future. Hello, Main Menu. This is Chase Crispin, and today I'm interviewing someone who is very familiar to and very popular with the Main Menu listeners, and that is Ricky Inger from Serotech. Ricky, welcome back to Main Menu, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on Main Menu, and uh, it's certainly going to be cool to be interviewed by you for the first time. Today we're going to be talking about Serotech applications, and specifically the two applications at this time that have gone cross-platform and that is DocuScan Plus and the iBlink radio app. It's worth mentioning that DocuScan Plus was originally released just for Windows, and then about season time, Serotech announced that it would be available for the Mac. Yes, we released it for Windows back in November of 2010, and it's kind of interesting because many Serotech staff members have both Windows and Mac machines, and it's not just us who have followed that trend. Many, many people have either switched full-time to the Mac or, like us, have both operating systems and want to be able to have the same functionality in both places. It looks like an app which feels native to the Mac and has all of the same functionality as that for Windows. For DocuScan Plus, you pay one time, so you purchase a license for DocuScan Plus, and that allows you to run DocuScan Plus on both Mac and Windows, so you don't have to buy it twice. You can scan something in Windows and then access it later on the Mac or vice versa. It allows it to really be a nice interface. Absolutely. Are there any differences in the user interface from the DocuScan version for Windows and Mac, or is the interface pretty much the same? There aren't any differences in functionality. The interface looks a bit different on each platform just to account for the way things sort of feel natively on a particular platform. But beyond the differences in terms of navigating on Mac and Windows, there's really, again, no difference in, in functionality between the two products. On Windows, you either have the option of doing your OCR in the cloud, so on a server on the internet somewhere, or on your local machine where the OCR engine has been downloaded to the computer. On the Mac, there isn't a native OCR engine there, which corresponds to the same one that we're using on Windows. So you do have only the option of having everything recognized in the cloud. Now that can be a drawback if you are not connected to the internet. Now I've heard a lot of rumors that DocuScan Plus may be going to mobile platforms and I know since you're not releasing anything right now you're not going to be able to say too much but can you tell us anything about maybe DocuScan going to iOS or Android or any other platforms? What I can say is that for iOS given the current hardware we have found it very difficult to create something that we would be happy to put our names on. Given the current hardware with the iPhone and the limitations that are placed on developers by Apple in terms of just how much low-level access you can get to the camera, we're holding off on anything for iOS. Now having said all that, the Android platform gives access to, in many cases, 
hardware that has better camera support than that which you find on iOS. So at this point, I don't have a lot to say about either. The possibility certainly exists, yes. Zeratech just released within the last few weeks iBlink Radio for Android. We said, hey, we we want to be a part of this. A lot of blind people are being sort of pioneers in terms of getting onto the Android platform. No, the accessibility isn't perfect yet, but Android is not something that we can ignore. We want people to have choice. We want people to say, I can buy a phone other than an iOS device if I want to, and I can have functionality like iBlink Radio on that phone. So again, we wanted to pay attention to Android because it's going places. It's gaining traction both in the mainstream and in the blindness community. So it just made sense to say, hey, we should have our app there. Now, there are some differences in the iBlink Radio app for Android and iOS. Can you kind of talk about these differences? Some of the differences are actually quite nice for the Android folks, and they have to do with the fact that uh, some Android phones do have keyboards, and they aren't exclusively touchscreen devices. So you can do things like first letter navigation as you're moving through your feet. So you don't necessarily have to scroll down through this huge list of radio stations just to, uh, to find the one that you're looking for. So you'll be faster with your iBlink uh, than your, your iOS friends. And there are also some low vision differences, correct? You can do magnification and things like that with iBlink on Android, whereas with iOS, it's displayed in whatever font you have things set as. With Android, it's a little easier to zoom in on what you're looking at. Is there anything you can tell us as far as maybe the iBlink radio app being expanded or another mobile app being released for something like a mobile SamNet browser so us SamNet users can actually access the SA mobile network on our iOS or Android devices? That's definitely something that we want to do, and it all goes back to this cross-platform accessibility anywhere philosophy where it shouldn't matter what device you're using, if you've paid for a service, you should certainly be able to access that service on whatever device you have at any given time. So SamNet is the example that you use, and that is something that we do want to do for both iOS and Android. Now, I can't give any release date. It is on the table. Let's uh, head on now now to Reading Ally. Did you have anything on that, Chase? One of the biggest stories of the year was Learning Ally changing its name. It used to be called RFBND, Recordings for the Blind and Dyslexic, and this year its name was changed to Learning Ally. There was a lot of controversy, a lot of controversy on a lot of the social networks, a lot of the email lists, blogs, and such. There was a lot of confusion about why did they take the words blind and dyslexic out of their name? What was the reasons for the change, and does it make the service different? On Main Menu, we were, of course, trying to cover all of the latest stories, and we interviewed both the Media Relations Director for Learning Ally, former, formerly RFBND, we also interviewed a very long-time member of Learning Ally to see their thoughts on the new name and what it could mean for the future with the company. Well, this week on Main Menu, I'm visiting with two gentlemen. The first is Doug Spry, Director of Media Relations at Learning Ally, formerly RFBND. Also, we're visiting with John Russo, who's a lifetime member of RFBND and is a part-time sound engineer, accomplished musician, as well as a graduate student. This year, we rebranded, renamed the organization Learning Ally, and it's the same organization. It's the same mission and the same essential core services, but for an expanding group of people, an expanding group of users who have reading disabilities of different types. We no longer just serve uh, only blind or dyslexic populations, but a whole range of people for whom um, access to learning materials is crucial and desired. As the amount of people and users with different types of disabilities expanded, the organization felt that RFD and D was a little limiting because as an organization, the desire to reach out with simply anybody with a print disability was recognized 
and so to be blind only or dyslexic only was limiting. So at that time, the name change became a buzz in the air, and I thought it was an excellent decision, especially because, for example, suppose that you're an individual who came back from a ward of day, and you don't exactly have uh, too much loss of sight, but maybe you now experience health problems, maybe headaches when you try to concentrate too long. Well, you're not dyslexic, and you're not exactly blind. So if you were searching for a book in a format that you could read without needing to focus so much on the eyes and the headaches that you get, if you saw B and D only, blind and dyslexic, you might think, well, that doesn't serve me. Now, learning Ally, of course, Ally suggests a friend to all. And in fact, I have the uh, website up and running right now. I'd like to quote specifically the line that says, making reading accessible for all. So anybody with a print disability for any reason is now invited to join Learning Ally and receive their educational materials in a format that allows them to enjoy as well as educate themselves with the information that is required, but without worrying that their eyes are going to cause a problem, distracting them and causing them not to be able to read. How many people were involved in this decision, and, and how did you go about making that decision? Really, hundreds of people have been involved directly. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of members, as you know, and we have literally hundreds of thousands of members uh, in schools, institutions, families, and individuals across that whole spectrum. You know, you can't reach all of them. Um, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit with limited means, but we also have 6,000 volunteers. We have, you know, donors and stakeholders, and we have deep ties into the education community. And so what it really meant was going deep into basically for the better part of a year, a process of before we even started to come up with ideas for you know, different alternatives for the name, understand um, what are our key stakeholders really thinking and what's really important to them. And, you know, we need to have this change driven by members and key stakeholders. So we created focus groups of parents and student members and teachers, volunteers, and we talked to our, uh, our friends at the Department of Education. And, um, you know, basically all components of our community were represented in this extensive um, and really methodical process to um, study vectors that would help us choose the right name. Also, you know, the word recording is interesting because, you know, we're no longer just recording. I mean, we, we have volunteers coming in to narrate books, but we're also getting into V-text and, you know, we're getting into text files and we're moving in the direction of, of, you know, human audio and synthetic speech. The word ally, I mean, John referred to it very well a few minutes ago. It means a friend to all, you know, a trusted, dependable friend, in this case, uh, making reading accessible to people who uh, may just have a different way of learning. And it, the word ally is really a standard word in the English language. So, I mean, that's a fixed quantity that's durable for the duration. So for anyone who formerly used RFB and D and happily downloaded books, I assume there's no change? Do they have to download any new keys or anything like that for their players? No, it's all, it's all perfectly uh, good continuity. Right. I mean, we did change the website to Learning Ally, and that was a big product, but it's all the same. We had an interview with Hims. That was a rather interesting uh, interview, and we found out about some of the newest products from Hims: the the new smaller note taker, the uh, on hand, and uh, also some of the other updates. They also opened an office in the U.S. this year. Before the distribution and tech support had all been done by GW Micro, and this year Hims opened their own office in Austin, Texas, and took over to tech support and their own office here in the U.S. Hello, everyone, and thanks to the main menu staff for having us on the show. We're very happy to be here. My name is Jenny Axler, and I do technical support for HIMSS. And in a few minutes, I will be joined by Scott Hagley, who is our regional sales manager in Wisconsin. We have several things that we want to present to you today, as it has been an exciting, fast-paced last few months at HIMSS. We have new software, we have new products, and as many of you may know, we also have a new North American office located in Austin, Texas, which opened in November. 
probably the most exciting and immediate thing we have going on is our new note taker upgrade version 6.0 which should be released the week of May 16th. So we'll be spending a good portion of the show talking about and demonstrating the new features of this upgrade. But first let me talk a little bit about our note taker family. The BrailleSense and VoiceSense family consists of five products. We have our BrailleSense Plus, our BrailleSense Plus QWERTY, our VoiceSense, and then our newest note takers, the BrailleSense on hand and the VoiceSense QWERTY. Now I was specifically asked to talk about the on hand so I will spend a little bit of time on that as well as the voice sense wordy. The on hand was just released in the fall and it is our pocket sized note taker with a braille display. I like to describe it as being about the size of a box of checks that you get from the bank. It's about three and a half by six and a half. It weighs under a pound. It's uh, about an inch thick. It contains four gigabytes of internal storage, has built in GPS and compass as well as Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It has an 18 cell braille display and it takes SD cards up to 32 gigabytes SDHC and it also connects to USB through an OTG port so it can serve as a host or a client device. This unit has all of the capabilities you know and love in the BrailleSense Plus, including multitasking. We have the media buttons on the front with the three modes that can be controlled globally, and it has the quietest, most comfortable Braille keyboard I've ever used in my entire life. All of the HIMS products, the Sense products, have exceptionally good Braille keyboards, but this one is the best one yet. It also comes with an external battery pack and charger, so you can actually charge one battery while you're using another. You can charge it while it's plugged in, that is possible, but you also have the option of having an external battery pack or an extra one to take with you. In addition, there's an optional LCD accessory. It's about four inches long. It's about a prism shape, maybe weighs, I don't know, three ounces. It's very light and portable and it connects through USB. So this is perfect for educators or parents who want to see what their kids are doing or just someone who wishes to be able to have a sighted person look at what they're typing. The small size of the on hand also makes it the perfect companion piece to your iDevice. I use mine with my iPhone all the time. It's great to be able to just throw both of them in my purse and have easy access to both. And I love the fact, too, that with the multitasking capabilities, I can have it connected to my iPhone and still use note taker functions and easily switch back and forth. Now, our VoiceSense QWERTY is also a very slim and lightweight device. This is maybe three quarters of an inch thick. It's very thin. It's about the size of a half sheet of paper. And it is the first QWERTY note taker to contain an LCD display. And it's actually a rather wide display so that this unit can be easily used by low vision users. We intend for this unit to be ideal for low vision use. It has output through speech, input through QWERTY, and also the LCD display. So it is really ideal for either low vision users or users who wish not to use Braille. It contains specifications similar to the on hand. It has four gig of internal storage. It has the built-in GPS and compass. It also has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth built in. In addition, it has ethernet connectivity. It has the SDHC connectivity. It has the USB OTG port. In addition, it also has a full-size USB host port. And again, the smallest, slimmest, and lightest QWERTY note taker that you're going to find on the market. Okay, so let's move on to the upgrade. And now I'm actually going to bring Scott in, and I'm going to do that using one of our new features. And by the way, for those of you interested, Scott and I are both using BrailleSense on hands. The next thing that I have on my list here was another interview that we did. This was one of them that it wasn't necessarily strictly technology related, but it was one that was certainly popular and did have a bit of technology in it. This was an interview done with the Christian contemporary singer, Jenny Owens, who does, uh, who is actually blind and she is a very well-known uh, Christian music singer. So you'll want to check out her music. And in this interview, we discussed with her how she writes and composes music as a blind person and also what technology she uses to get through that process. The world is wide, you can't crawl under it, you can't climb over it, baby I've tried. 
Jenny Owens is a contemporary Christian artist who has sold nearly one million albums and is a top performer on the Christian radio charts. Jenny has been totally blind since the age of three. I recently had the opportunity to visit with her about how she uses technology in her work and daily life. Well, just let's start at the beginning. Why don't you tell us how you got started in music? I began writing songs uh, when I was pretty young. I think maybe seven or eight. Not very good songs. I went to college and was a music education major. Wow. And I really thought that I was going to teach high school choir. I actually found a job as a songwriter before I found a job as a teacher. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm supposed to be. Um, a songwriter because um, that doesn't really happen very often, especially not in Nashville. In the daily process of writing and, and jotting down rough drafts and that sort of thing, what, what do you use technology-wise to accomplish that? Um, I use, uh, well, for writing down, uh, when I'm writing songs, I use I like to use Braille. So I have a Braillino uh, from Handy Tech that I primarily use for that. Um, and then I, I have a digital recorder. I have one of the um, Olympus digital quarters, right. uh, the DS 60, I guess, 50, okay. 50, maybe one of those. <laughs> and, right. um, but I actually use my iPhone quite a bit. Um, in fact, today I was writing and I used my Brillino and I used Voxy, which is a, uh, recording app for the iPhone in order to sort of do the paperwork and turning in songs and all that stuff. I use my PC, um, but I use my Mac for, you know, when I'm actually going to demo a song, I'll use GarageBand or Logic or Pro Tools or something on the so what is like uh, what is a song that um, our listeners would would know those that listen to contemporary Christian what's one of the first songs that really was was good to you so to speak um, well the first single was free uh, a song called free and that one I think that one did pretty well and then um, if you want me to uh, was a song that people called the valley song that was also another song that um, did pretty well uh, yeah. off the first record that people might know. So do you work with with a band currently, or are you on, on your own pretty much? You know, we do a lot of dates alone, just because it's um, financially, you know, it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, I'll come do it by myself and um, play piano and right. instead of bringing in the whole band. Um, so... Um, a lot of times, maybe I'll take one player, like a, a guitar player um, sure. or a road manager. Um, so there's a lot of times at least one other person. When we take a full band, I actually have a tour bus that unfortunately does a lot more sitting right now than it does <laughs> moving. But yeah. when we have a full band and when we're out on a tour, we'll actually load up the bus with everyone. It's much cheaper than buying airline tickets. And we will um, we'll go out that way. Now, you, you have a dog guide, correct? No, I don't. No. I, I just have a dog. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, see, that was I, just an assumption on my part there. No, I, I have a, a miniature Australian shepherd um, named Louie, who is awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, he does go on the road, though. So, and what's really fun is that people in airports often think he is my guide dog, even though he weighs about 10 pounds or something. Kind of give us some ideas of what you're working on right now. Well, I just finished a project that we have been working on for the last two years. And I'm a very impatient person when it comes to projects. So two years was like torture for me, but I'm very excited that we spent that much time on it. And um, the first single just went to radio and the record releases on August 23rd. And the record's actually called Get In, I'm Driving, which is kind of fun. CSUN 2011. There were quite a few new things at CSUN 2011, although some people said they didn't think there was as many new things this year as maybe some years in the past. 
Uh, I think we're kind of in the middle of a big change. We might be going from a period of new hardware being released all the time. I think we're kind of moving to a period of building on what we have, taking the software that is out there and enhancing it, making it work for everyone. So maybe this is the reason for some being disappointed because there's not as much new that maybe you can touch, but we're building on things that we've already had. And we're also really working, from what I've seen, the industry is really building on different operating systems and building around what we want as consumers. And then that is not a main menu opinion or an ACB radio opinion. That's just kind of something that I personally have noticed. And perhaps that's the reason. And that's kind of what uh, was talked about in this interview that we're talking about, which was actually uh, Daryl Shandro, who a lot of you know from being a former Main Menu co-host. He was the one who was being interviewed, and he not only talked about the conference, he talked about Android and iOS like we were just doing, and he also really touched on the debate of mainstream technology versus specialized technology like note takers, and are both needed, and can our market support both? This week, I'm joined with Daryl Shandro and his wife, Karen, and we are going to discuss CSUN 2011. What were you kind of looking forward to? Because I know when you go to anything like that, there's always things that you hope to see. Well, I I have a very, uh, potentially very different take when I go somewhere. Um, You know, um, I I was looking forward to um, meeting up with uh, old, you know, old uh, acquaintances that I know, people that I know, and... um, spending time with friends and uh, seeing the exhibits. I did not go to any of the sessions. Uh, however, I did participate in a uh, Google focus group, which I can say a little bit about. I have to be, I have to be a little cautious there, but I can, I can sort of describe what Google is doing at CSUN. So Google focus group exhibits and mo- most important, networking and socialization for me. Very good. Why don't you go ahead, since we're, you've mentioned it, go ahead and just tell us what you can about that focus group, because I know there's a lot of interest in Google uh, with regard to accessibility right now. Yes. Um, as many of you may know, um, the National Federation of the Blind has asked the Department of Justice to look into the use of Google Apps in the uh, K-12 and university uh, higher educational settings um, for a number of universities because uh, Google Apps are um, either not fully accessible in the case of Gmail and Google Calendar and Google Reader and things of that sort, or they're, or they're really not accessible at all, as in the case of Google Docs. So um, I, um, not knowing uh, how that, re- you know, whether it whether that has to do with, with their presence at CSUN or not. Nevertheless, Google was present, was very highly present at CSUN, especially on Wednesday. They held a number of focus groups for, um, for different types of users. Um, so um, it, was, it, was very, uh, it was very interesting. So um, Karen and I and uh, our friend Allison, were all, we all applied. A link was uh, sent out on Twitter and elsewhere in various uh, email lists and social media venues uh, a few weeks before couple of weeks before CSUN, inviting people to fill out a short survey um, with the possibility of being able to participate in a focus group at CSUN. And what was awesome was the three of us who were hanging out together at the conference all got selected for the same focus group at the same time. <laughs> how, how awesome is that? Absolutely. So, so we went to the we went to the focus group and um, we got to um, we got to talk with Google and essentially they they were very much uh, in presence at CSUN. They were in listening mode. So essentially, um, they asked us how we use technology, how we use the internet, how we use uh, uh, assistive technology, and and they listened. They we all got to talk about our experiences, not just with Google products, which we did talk about, mm-hmm. uh, kind of especially in our group. I think uh, a couple of us really focused on Google Docs. Um, because a lot of, uh, of employers use Google Docs for collaboration right. um, on projects, so that's very, a very important thing to some of us. Um, and, I, and I think that, uh, that really Google was, was totally in listening mode. They did not make any announcement or promises about accessibility, but I also, I also felt like they were very receptive. Um, and, and so um, I hope this results in some positive actions. I'm also aware that um, a, a, there was another 
a more highly technical focus group for developers, and they actually kind of got into the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, JavaScript, Ajax, um, you know, all that, all those platforms on which Google uh, Google software is made, and they talked about how to make those more accessible. And I guess I would say the real headline was a unique product called Eyeglasses by Ambutech. Um, they had they had an interesting um, exhibit um, where they have these glasses that you can put on, and they're they're vibratory glasses, mm-hmm. so they will help you find overhanging obstacles, you know, things in front of you that your cane won't find mm. uh, from 10 to two and a half feet in front of you. Wow. And if, uh, so if you're going to run into a tree branch or something like that, before you get to it, your glasses vibrate uh, around your nose, essentially. I always look for technologies that are going to just really make the world more accessible for me as a blind person. Mm-hmm. And I saw some interesting new technologies, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't. I guess I didn't see something that just really totally knocked my socks off. Some years you go to conference, and you, or if you listen to the presentations later, you'll hear lots of uh, note takers start up, and you'll recognize a little sound, and you'll like, okay, everyone's using such and such. What were people using this year? Well, it was it was uh, it was pretty diverse. There were still a lot of note takers. Um, you know, um, there's there's a there's a debate there about whether to use note takers or mainstream technology. There was a lot of both. I saw, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of iPhones there. Um, a number of us were using uh, uh, an app on the iPhone called Heytel mm-hmm. to communicate with one another um, throughout the conference. Um, you had myself, uh, Mika, Frank, Byron. Uh, you know our own, you know Byron Lee, who does the talk zone here on uh, Mainstream. Right. And um, you know a number of others. Uh, even uh, Jonathan Mosen was on at one point. On the we had this public relay, so we had this awesome little, basically like a radio channel. Oh, wow. You could double tap the public relay, and if you wanted uh, to get a message out to everyone who attend attend CSUN and selects that public relay, then you could broadcast a message out to all the users. Very cool. On it. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So there were a lot of, there were quite a few iPhones, um, a lot of note takers. Um, the Braille Note is still pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, the new Apex. Right. A Braille Note. And um, I, I, so I really saw Braille Notes, iPhones, and a couple of Androids um, at the table Wednesday night, the DC night out uh, dinner meeting. Um, Byron showed us his, I think it was a Motorola, a Motorola Droid with uh, mobile accessibility on board. And that was and that was interesting. I, I'm I'm not a I'm not much of an Android fan at all, and, and we can certainly uh, discuss that in, uh, briefly. But sure. but um but it, but it, it did work. Uh, you know, it did really. Um, it, it, I did see him use it. He does have a significant amount of sight, mm-hmm. and did tell me that. Well, yes, when I use the Droid, I use my sight a little bit, and when I use my iPod Touch, I really don't have to. So that kind of tells tells you at least one person's experience, and that and that experience I know has been echoed by a number of others as well. So. Um, means that in, in my belief is that with Android, we're not there yet mm-hmm. from an accessibility perspective. I think that the days of specialized note-takers must, they have to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, so so we have like five or six different companies, you know, making note-takers, right? We have APH slash Levelstar, we have Humanware, we have Hims, um, you know, uh, we have um, the, the Pronto, I guess, that's another one that's out there. Um, you know, we, we have a we have a, we have have a a few companies, I should say, making note-takers. Right. And we have quite a, you know, FS, of course, with the Pac-Mate. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we have these note-takers competing with one another. But they're all, you know, gosh, uh, $4,000, $6,000 machines. Right. And they're, they're, they're very specialized, okay? So, so um, you know, a new technology comes out and you want to use it, forget it. It's not, you know, it's not there. Right. You know, you're not going to be able to use it. Your note-taker is a box, and it's, 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 it's been programmed for you to do a certain, amount, certain you know, set of tasks. And if you want to do something new, then you just have to hope that um, your note-taker maker uh, manufacturer is on board with that and has come out with an update, which then you can pay for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, whereas with my iPhone, um, you know, um, I get, it, get it, I want to scan money. Okay, two dollar out. 
I just uh, went on the App Store and and had it on my iPhone in you know thirty uh, you know let's let's say ninety seconds tops. Right. You know, and it's there and it's ready to go. <laughs> it's ready to scan money. I mean, you can't do that with a note taker. A note taker is stuck with what you're stuck with. Um, however, um, one of my friends said she said well she said on the other hand. You know, my note ticker is instant on. I don't have to worry about a Bluetooth keyboard, a Bluetooth wireless display, a Bluetooth headset. You know, this and that. It's uh, I, 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 have to work. I work in the exhibit hall, and all I have to do is set my note ticker down on the table and turn it on, and I'm and it's in the file I was in last, and and I can just start typing away. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, I really can't quite do that on the iPhone. Right. So so that is the that is the argument. You know, sort of in favor of of the note ticker. It is it's specialized. The company knows. You know, or at least can be ex- potentially expected to know what a blind person needs, especially for the Braille note takers. There's a lot of better, more native Braille support in them than there will be in an, you know, an Apple device, for instance. Um, so there are there are benefits to note takers. Mm-hmm. However, Jamie and everybody, I, I think the issue is going to come down to economics. And Mr. Chase, this one you have to take is the Braille challenge, and you were in it, so who better to talk about it? This was a fairly short piece, actually. It wasn't strictly technology-related. This was another one that touched on technology, but was more of a blindness in general thing. Um, this was an interview. Uh, I was being interviewed about Braille Challenge. As a lot of you probably know, I'm a student. And the Braille Challenge, as you'll hear in this little snippet of the interview, is a program put on by the Braille Institute for blind and visually impaired students in school, K-12, to participate in a competition to promote Braille literacy. I'm joined this week by Chase Crispin, who is a part of Braille Challenge. And first of all, Chase, explain to us what Braille Challenge is. The Braille Challenge is a Braille reading and writing competition. It's basically a competition to promote Braille literacy in students in school. It basically just tests in your age group your Braille literacy. There's tests, and they depend on your age group, but all grades have comprehension, reading comprehension, proofreading, and then depending on your age group, you'll have speed and accuracy, which is where you have a Bookport Plus or a Victor Reader Stream, and you listen to a recording and Braille what you hear, and then they grade you based on your grammar, your spelling, and your Braille accuracy. And you might also have Braille spelling, where you have to write the word uncontracted and contracted, and you might also have reading charts and graphs. Who puts this on? It's all based out of the Braille Institute in California, and there are regional Braille challenge competitions pretty much in every state and in a couple of the provinces in Canada. If you're one of the top 60 scorers, which ends up being because there's five age groups, one of the top 12 in your age category, you get to fly out to Los Angeles, California for the national competition. What sort of things will you do at national? It's the same thing, basically, as the regional. Same competitions, but it's a bigger deal, pretty much. Right. Um, when you get out there that Friday night, there's kind of an opening ceremony type thing where you just go and meet people and socialize and get to know other people. And then Saturday... All day you're doing all the tests, the competition, and there's a big award ceremony where they give up the awards and prizes on Saturday night. Do they focus mostly on paper braille, or do they actually get into electronic braille as well? They haven't really got into electronics, and I think it's because they don't want to have it count against people that can't afford the technology or don't have access to the technology. So you have all the competitions are brailled out on just you know braille paper, they're embossed, and then you type out your answers on a Perkins Braille Writer. To learn more about the Braille Challenge, you can visit www.braillechallenge.org if you're living in an area where it's away from where there's a regional one or something like that. You're unable to get where the regionals are held. You can have your TVI or just, I think, pretty much any teacher can get the preliminary contest stuff and give you the test and then they'll send them in. Even if you don't live in a place where you can get the regionals, you can still participate. Thank you. 
That's going to do it for Main Menu for this week. We hope you enjoyed our year in review. And on behalf of Chase, myself, and the entire Main Menu team, have a happy new year. And we'll see you back here again next week on Main Menu.